Welcome to ASCP's podcast, Inside the Lab, where we discuss anything and everything that concerns today's laboratory professionals and pathologists. Um, my name is Kelly Swales, and I'm one of your co-hosts. I'm an ASCP certified medical technologist and a writer. I work in the publications department at ASCP. And my name is Dr. Loti Mulder. I'm the Director of Leadership and Empowerment at AACP, and I'm also one of your co-hosts. Today, we're going to talk about mentorship in the laboratory. We've got some great guests lined up, and I'm really looking forward to a great discussion. Dr. Kamran Mirza is an Associate Professor of Pathology and Vice Chair of Education at Loyola University Health System in Maywood, Illinois. He was a top five honoree in AACP's 40 Under 40 in 2017, and a recipient of the AACP Mentorship Award in 2019. Tywana Wilson is a best-selling author of Some Leaders Wear Lab Coats, as well as an entrepreneur, medical laboratory scientist, and an award-winning leadership maven. She is a System Technical Director of Chemistry for CompuNet Clinical Laboratories in Dayton, Ohio, and the owner-slash-chief leadership consultant of Trendy Elite Coaching and Consulting. Taiwana has over 15 years of diverse laboratory leadership experience. Her mission is to empower and train 1 million leaders worldwide to be able to utilize their skills to lead with confidence and leave a career legacy that makes them proud. Retired Colonel Dr. Nathan Johnson currently serves as chair of the Laboratory Sciences Department, College of Health Professions at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences in Little Rock, Arkansas. In his current role, Dr. Johnson leads the state's flagship medical laboratory science program and the state's sole cytotechnology program. Prior to his current academic appointment, Dr. Johnson served as a senior medical laboratory officer in the Department of Defense. In 28 years of service, Dr. Johnson has held a variety of positions in clinics, hospitals, research facilities, and served as squadron commander and held a joint assignment. Dr. Johnson also deployed to Bagram Air Base Afghanistan and served as senior researcher on the Joint Combat Casualty Research Team. Welcome to you all. We're looking forward to a great discussion with you today. How are you all doing? Good, thank you. Doing well, thank you. Just fine, thank you. So before we get started, I just have a little bit of housekeeping to uh, take care of. CME and CMLE will be available for listening to this podcast in the ASCP store. The American Society for Clinical Pathology is accredited by the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education to provide, you guessed it, continuing medical education for physicians. ASCP designates this enduring material for a maximum of one AMA, PRA, Category 1 credit. Physicians should only claim the credit commiserate with the extent of their participation in the activity. All right, here we go. Yeah, so once again, welcome you guys. It's really great to have you all here. I just want to pose like a broad question to everyone. First, why is the mentor-mentee relationship so important? I can take a stab at that. I think that that's a really interesting and important question. I think that typically when we think of the mentor-mentee relationship, we only think of a successful relationship. We don't necessarily think of the relationships that can go sour, right? So all of our examples are built in uh, relationships that are working well. And I think to answer the question, you have to kind of consider, you know, successful relationships being a you know, kind of the glue or the cement that are holding a building together. So the fluidity of and the adaptability of that relationship is truly what helps, you know, the mentee thrive. And actually, in many ways, even the mentor thrives, right? It's always a two-way kind of street when it comes to mentor and mentee. Uh, and so that relationship is extremely important because if the goals of the relationship are known, and if there's flexibility in the approach, and if there's a stepwise kind of algorithmic mentorship that occurs over time, there's tremendous success, right? So you can catapult someone's success just by having that good relationship. In contrast, if that relationship doesn't work, right, and you cannot get out of that mentor-mentee relationship, that can be very frustrating for all parties involved and, you know, pretty much derail success of whatever, they, you know, the people wanted to achieve. What about you, Dr. Johnson? Why do you think the, the mentor-mentee relationship is so important? Well, I like to think of it in terms of like you're going on a trip. We have a, a trip in our career and the things that we want to do professionally or personally are others that have gone before us and others that have great experience, both on the, on the good and bad. And so if we can find someone to help us navigate, to help us show us the way, 
it just makes our experience professionally and in life just so much better. And it's something I don't think that we've done a tremendously good job overall in the laboratory community of connecting those people who need mentors or giving people experience to be mentors or encouraging them. So if we're going to have the type of workforce that we need moving forward, we have to. It's an essential requirement that we have a really strong mentorship program, mentorship culture, one that encourages it. Ms. Wilson, what are your thoughts? I would agree with what was already said, but I think it's very important to be able to learn from those who have already experienced the road before us. I think it's important to shorten that learning curve. And that's what happens when you have a mentor. It allows you to get a jump start, if you will, on your career path. It allows you to move forward without stepping into all those potholes and speed bumps that we may do on our own. So I think the mentor-mentee relationship is critical, is actually essential and necessary. I don't know how you can move throughout your career without being in a mentorship relationship. But just to add to what my colleagues already said, I think it's important to leverage what those experts have already done before us. So you talk a little bit about the basically learning from other people, right? Like learning from maybe their mistakes, learning from their successes. What are some of the other benefits of engaging in a, in a successful mentor-mentoring relationship on either the mentee side or on the mentor side? I think from a mentee side, it allows you help and support with your career transition. It also helps you be able to, like I said, lessen that learning curve. That's critical. I mean, in today's workforce, especially by the year of 2025, but most of our workforce being millennials, they want to learn very fast. They want to learn very quickly. I want to learn very fast and very quickly uh, and lessen that learning curve. And we have such a, a great track plan for technical expertise. But some of those things that we don't have, the people skills, the interpersonal, the leadership, the management. And so anybody that can help me in my career or help mentees in their career, I think that's beneficial and crucial. It also allows us to build that mutual respect and trust. What I know to be true is that we learn best by people we, we trust and respect. And so anytime you trust and respect somebody, it's going to allow you to be able to move forward because you're going to look at what works well for them successful and unsuccessful models, and then you're going to implement those things into your own personal space. I know I've learned and looked at people that I trust and admire, and I implemented a lot of the things that they told me to do, and that's because I had a mutual respect for them. So lessening that learning curve, being able to help with your career transition and progression is also important. And just being able to receive that feedback and encouragement, we're all people and people love to receive feedback and encouragement to know when you're doing well, when you're not doing so well. What is the political culture in your particular company or organization? Can you help me not step into some of those feed pumps? And so I think the benefits of mentorship outweighs anything. That's why I say it's cr critical and essential. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Mirza or Johnson, any, any benefits from the mentor side? I can tell you from a, a personal standpoint, uh, I have learned a lot from my mentees. Many times they'll come with a problem maybe that I have not even considered before. And so it can be growing on both sides. From a professional standpoint, it can be very fulfilling. One thing that I've noticed for individuals that don't have a mentor is that many times they're frustrated because they might know or have seen others who have had a good mentor and they don't have that. And so it's been my experience that people, not everyone, but most individuals really appreciate the ability of, of having a good mentor. And I, I do think that it's, it's just a growing type of thing. It helps both sides. I agree, you know, segueing from that, I think that if you think of pathology and laboratory medicine in general, uh, you know, we don't necessarily have very specific pathways for people to find us. You know, I know ASCP and all of us individually and as groups, we're trying to really market our professions and 
talk about our importance. And obviously, this has been highlighted a lot with the COVID-19 pandemic. But if you think of an undergraduate student or a graduate student or even a medical student, right, they aren't necessarily coming from very specific paths that are catered towards their, you know, childhood dreams of becoming a laboratorian because nobody has those dreams because they're not exposed to the how amazing our work is. And so I guess what I'd like to say from the mentor perspective is that as all of us as mentors, when we put on our mentor hat, we ultimately have the opportunity to start guiding a person who could have just landed in the laboratory by happen chance, right? I mean, it could have just been that they knew someone who was a laboratorian or knew someone who was a pathologist. And, you know, in medical school, I can tell you the one person in every class that's becoming a pathologist, honestly, we don't know. We only have anecdotal anecdotal data about why they actually are doing it. But once they become a pathologist or once, you know, I run a master's degree in medical laboratory science, once we get those students, you know, to be able to mentor them because there are so many amazing pathways that they can take, so many leadership opportunities, so many outreach opportunities, you know, opportunities for advocacy, all of that stuff, whatever our experience is, we can lay a foundation for them. And so I think that that can be very fulfilling, especially in the laboratory, um, you know, a very fulfilling aspect of mentorship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very interesting point because so much of, of when I ask people like, oh, how did you get into the field of pathology and laboratory medicine? So much, so many answers are because, oh, someone introduced me to it. I met someone and they mentored me and they encouraged me to explore and I fell in love with it. So you can see how important that is just even for, just for the recruitment aspect, let alone for career advancements. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting that you say that because uh, the reason I got into the laboratory field was because of my, um, high school biology teacher who at the time was a mentor of mine. At that time, I was thinking I would major, you know, go uh, pre-med, go to medical school, become a doctor, that sort of thing. And she's like, you know what I think? And you can still do that, but I think you'd be, you'd be wise to major in clinical laboratory science. You can still go to med school if you want after, and they'll even give you a leg up in med school to have that um, knowledge. Once I got into the schooling of it, I was like, yeah, I really like this. And I just stuck with it. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so kudos to your biology teacher who served as a mentor, right? A mentor for the lab. Mrs. Thatcher. Yeah. I had, I had no idea about the, I had no idea about the profession until she's like, you know what, you need to look into this. Yeah. So yeah, super important for even getting people in the field. Absolutely. Dr. Johnson, I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about, um, we've kind of talked about like general, like mentor, mentor, mentorship roles. Do you think that there's a specific need within the laboratory to have that. And I guess a follow-up question would be, what if the laboratory culture doesn't support that? I don't personally know any laboratories that wouldn't support that, but I do know that some cultures work, cultures can be toxic. And if they don't support mentoring anyone or menteeing, being a mentee or something, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. That's a great question. One thing about the clinical laboratories of today, they're doing more work with less people. And for many labs, they have a very difficult time finding the time or carving out the time for the type of traditional mentorship program that you may see in corporate America. It may look a little different than some others, but there is a tremendous need. We talk all the time about the retention rate of our professionals, more so on the clinical laboratory scientist side, I think on the pathologist side. But it's very important for these individuals, the the new generation coming to feel like they're a part of things and matching them up with a mentor, whether in the organization or outside the organization, someone that can help them, someone that can hear them. As Tawana already mentioned, somebody that can help them propel their career, get them where they would like to go. That roadmap, I think it's super important. Now, is it possible that an organization may not have the wherewithal or the expertise or the want to to do that. And that's always possible. And that's why I think it is very appropriate. And I think it's super that professional organizations like ASCP are providing opportunities to connect mentors. Super excited about that. You know, my message is that if you can't find one in the lab or the organization that you're working on, don't stop there reach out because you can, you can find it. Yeah, absolutely. I know one of the frustrations, you know, back in the day when I was on the bench was it seemed like there was so little room for advancement 
you know, we had 140 techs and five supervisors kind of thing. But, you know, if you have a good mentor, you know, you can still take on leadership roles without having like an actual title. So, yeah, that's important for sure. And another thing I'd like to add is if you go across the country and I'm in my job, I'm able to do that some and talk to folks that work in different labs across the country, you'll find that there's a variation in the amount of mentoring going on and so forth. In rural uh, United States right now, there's an acute need for good mentorship. There's an acute need for those school teachers to tell those individuals locally, you would be a great person to work in the lab. And oh, and by the way, you can stay here in this town and work here. But unfortunately, we see a lot of these individuals move away and there's no qualified individuals to, to work in those rural labs. So that's something that I take on personally that I think that we need more mentors at the rural level. Oh, yeah. I mean, rural medicine is kind of a, that's a whole different ball of wax, right? Like trying to get doctors to come in and, and like you say, techs, radiology techs, laboratory scientists, everybody. It's hard. If, if somebody's not from the area, it's hard to recruit. So we talked a little bit about, you know, creating a culture of mentorship at organizations. Ms. Wilson had a question about if as a laboratory professional, do you recommend seeking a mentor in my field of work? And should that person be my boss or should we, as we, as Dr. Johnson mentioned, um, do you recommend looking outside of your work environment as well? Dr. Motor, that's a great question. So it depends. I would say I've never had a laboratory mentor. I've never had an industry-specific mentor, and I think that's been a hindrance on my path. All of my mentors have been outside of, of lab. They've been in healthcare or other industries, but I haven't had an industry-specific. And I think I missed out. I don't know if it was I didn't know where to find a lab mentor. Maybe I didn't feel comfortable with my boss, and that's why I didn't ask that particular person. But I think having an industry-specific mentor is crucial. Why do I feel that way? I feel that way because with your mentor, laboratory director, pathologist, whatever the case may be, they know the culture of our profession. They know the competencies that are needed to be successful. They know what works and what doesn't work. They have experience that's relevant and relatable. And you're not spending a bunch of time trying to say, okay, I'm a medical laboratory scientist. This is what I do. This is what's important to us. This is our lingo. This is how our traditional career trajectory goes. And so I think it's critical. Now to the second part of that question, should that mentor be your boss? It depends. <laughs> and I say that because mentorship is based off of relationships. And at the core of relationships is what? Trust. <laughs> so if you have a boss that you trust and respect and admire, then absolutely they can serve as a mentor if that's something that you all agree that it's a good fit. If there's no trust or you don't respect your boss, and it happens, let's face it, it happens then no, that person should not serve as your mentor because the relationship is going to be ineffective. The reason is you are going to be vulnerable with your mentor. You're going to have confidence. Things that you talk about that should be private with your mentor. And you want to be able to trust that those discussions that are had will not leave those meetings, will not leave between the two of you. And so could it be your boss? Maybe. You know, but that's going to be an individual basis depending on if you trust and have a relationship. But at the core of any mentoring relationship, whether it's an industry specific person or somebody outside of that, it's built on relationships, it's built on trust, it's built on respect. Absolutely. And I think, too, in an ideal world, your supervisor is a mentor to you, even if it's in an unofficial way. They're mentoring you as part of your professional development, hopefully. Dr. Mercer? Yes, I mean, I have to fully agree with Ms. Wilson. I think that, you know, I mean, to be honest with you, in many ways, so like just because the boss is successful at being a boss, we're assuming that the boss is successful, doesn't necessarily mean the boss will be a good mentor, right? And so I completely agree that it isn't just about, you know, 
the leadership role. It's about the relationship. But it's also about the fact that if that person is boss to 100 people, will they be able to mentor all of them, right? I mean, there's about there's an equity that comes into play when it comes to bosses. And I think that what you know the segues into is, look at Miss Wilson, though. She's amazingly successful without actually having had, you know, a mentor in the field that, you know, she is successful in. And so while, you know, her points are really well taken because, the, you know, the lingo, the culture is extremely important. And, and I can only, you know, applaud her for now being a mentor in that space. You know, it's important to recognize that mentorship comes in so many different faces. Right. And so I think that, in you know, all the mentors that she had who have helped her, you know, catapult her success, I would argue that similarly you know, just because somebody is a boss, you know, first of all, doesn't mean that they're a leader, like they're not a good leader. If they are a good leader, it doesn't mean that they're going to be a good mentor. And it's also possible that the journey that they took in order to become a leader is going to be very different from the journey that, you know, that I will end up taking, right? And so you want a person who is not only very successful in their role, but is also a master of the journey. So to be honest with you, let's say, you know, if we take the pathology example, right? Let's say I'm mentoring a person and they want to do a subspecialty fellowship that I don't have. Right. So technically, I'm not the expert in that particular specialty, but it is within the realm of pathology. But I might be the expert in the journey. Right. I might be able to tell them that this is step one, this is step two, this is step three, and you can get there. So in that sense, mentorship comes in many different formats. Right. And you can go, you should go out. Right. And think of mentorship outside the box, mentorship, you know, like kind of life mentorship. There's so many aspects of grooming, like just professional grooming, like how you speak, what do you bring up? Do you talk about these? things you not talk about these things right all of that comes into play which you you know which a particular boss in a particular role may not be able to do so i think that mentorship has many many faces and ultimately you should you know hopefully people find mentors that are experts in that journey and they can cater their mentorship to your journey you know seeing who you are as a mentee yeah absolutely i think a point i would kind of want to make about having like your boss as your mentor Dr. Mirza makes a ton of great points about, you know, they probably have a lot of direct reports, you know, they can't mentor everybody, that sort of thing. And, you know, this is not always the case. I don't even think it's often the case, but I think that you have to be careful about some people get real jealous about their own position, especially if they're a leader and they can, you know, they'll, they'll mentor you, but not too well because they don't want you to take their spot, that sort of thing. Um, like I said, I, don't, I really don't think that happens often, but I think it's something that people should probably keep their eyes open about because I do think it happens, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And I have another thing to mention on that. So because somebody is a boss and they are successful doesn't mean they would make a good mentor. I can remember one of my bosses uh, in one of my roles, previous roles, and they said straight up, that, you know, one of the things that they need to work on is being a good mentor. That was not one of the things that they hold as a priority. And so even though that person was very successful, it did very well in the lab industry, admittedly, being a mentor was not one. So I know when I reported to that person, I wasn't going to be looking for them to be a mentor to me because they had already let me know that that was not an area in which they performed well in. It's similar to when you're training students in the laboratory. You know how you have some of those technologists that are just superstar techs that do very well training. I mean, they have the patience. They go through and they make sure that the student has everything they need. They prepare. You know, they just love it. They love encouraging, empowering, and educating others. Well, there's other people who are superstar techs, but they're not very good trainers. They're not people people, (laughs) if you will. And so those are things too, you have to know your capabilities. You know, could that person that mentor be your boss or be a boss or be a leader? I think that was a great point that was mentioned about, you know, having a hundred direct reports or even having 20 direct reports. Capacity. That is one of the questions that I would always ask as a mentee seeking a mentor what is your capacity? Are you able to take on another mentee? Because it should be fair to me and fair to you because both of our times are important. And you have to be honest and realistic and ask those questions. 
one of my mentors, and I love her to death, but she has so many mentees, her capacity to get in depth with, you know, somebody that's maybe starting out just isn't there. It doesn't mean she isn't a good person. Doesn't mean that she's not a great mentor. She's just tapped out on her capacity. That's me at this point. I have mentees and I, at this point, probably shouldn't take on any more mentees, you know, but I'm honest and I would, you know, tell people that depending on what their needs are and what they require of me and my time, I will let them know up front if I could take on another mentee or not. So I think as leaders too, who are serving as mentors who may be successful, you know, who may like or enjoy mentorship, you have to be honest. If you are completely maxed out in your time and you cannot take on the responsibility and commitment, please say that because you can turn somebody off and you can give somebody a bad taste in their mouth and they can lose hope. At the end of the day, people want to connect. And if you don't hold up on your promises, it's almost like a kid waiting for their parent to come home and they, and they come home late. Or, you know, they said they were going to do something and they didn't. And so those are things we need to think about, too, as we are our leaders in our industry and mentees may approach us. Can you handle another mentee? You mentioned a little bit uh, at the beginning about how, you know, just because someone is a subject matter expert in something, that they're not necessarily a great mentor or they don't have the training to be a mentor. What are some things that makes, um, because I just don't have, I haven't seen a lot of training on um, how to be a good mentee or even how to be a good mentor. What are some, some training aspects that you think, that any of you think are very essential to make sure that someone is a good mentor? I'd like to speak to that just for a little bit. The first thing we had just talked about is having the time. So having you know the time management skills to be able to carve time out of your day to, to be a mentor. I, I can look back on the individuals who I've mentored over the years. And quite frankly, a lot of the things that we talked about, I don't remember. Hopefully I was successful. But one of the things I always remember is them thanking me for taking the time, whatever time that was, sometimes a, a good deal of time to help them, to mentor them. That's, that's extremely important. I have been involved with I would probably guess five to 10 formal mentorship programs. And many times they do involve training that is required. And quite frankly, mentorship programs have been forced upon both the mentee and the mentor. And I haven't seen good success with that as far as it needs to be a, a mutual thing where both the mentor and the mentee want to do it. And so I can't say that I'm a super big fan of that type of, you know, forced type of relationship or forced training. I think kind of like what Tawana was saying, there are some people who are good mentors. And um, although we can always get better in everything that we do um, with practice, but having the willingness to be a mentor or mentee, I think that's the number one thing that's required to be successful. If I could add, I think that, you know, honestly, in the United States of America today, mentors need to be woke. <laughs> they need to be aware. They need to be woke. You know, you will have a series of individuals who are probably going to benefit so much from your mentorship, right? But to be able to be subtle and perceptive about differences and where people are coming from, what their journeys are, what their backgrounds are, I think that being woke is actually super important because if there is lack of awareness, I mean, you can be an expert, like we've already talked about this, right? So it doesn't mean that an expert in a subject is a, is a great mentor. Uh, but let's say you are an expert in a subject and you are a great mentor, right? And you have an ability to connect with the person, but the, for that relationship to actually happen, for that connection to actually go through, you need to have an ability to be open-minded enough to understand where that individual is coming from, from a non-academic perspective, right? So I think that that is also key because without that understanding or with, you know, without making four paws, which, you know, people can tend, you know, tend to make sometimes, that relationship will not be cemented, right? And so without the relationship, there's nothing. And so I think that that's also another important aspect, uh, which is kind of non, uh, you know, it's non-specific to the laboratory, but I think that it's important to consider. Yeah, I kind of want to circle back a little bit to ways we can find 
a mentor. Dr. Johnson, uh, you had kind of mentioned this before about other avenues, like maybe not necessarily your workplace. Uh, what are some, some ways that mentors and mentees can kind of connect? Well, I, I do think that, you know, the workplace is the first place to look. And if not at that workplace, maybe previous places you've worked or the industry. Juana had a really good point about the importance of finding someone in your industry, especially for those uh, professional type things. However, if you can't find them there, look to your professional organization. I'm a member of several professional organizations that have great mentorship programs that are able to connect. I'm fortunate to be involved with the ASCP mentorship program. It's very easy to find. You can just type in mentorship uh, ASCP in Google right there. And it's a great place where you can find uh, an enormous number of people with excellent qualifications and credentials. But most importantly, they've all volunteered and they want to do it. And many of them do have the time to do it. If you go and you take the time, which is a tremendous benefit of being an ASCP member, just FYI, you will have the um, experiences of many, many, many lifetimes at your fingertips. It's just there for the asking. ASCP has made it incredibly easy. It's part of your membership. So I think it's something that I'm super um, excited and proud to be involved in and, and happy to be a mentor in that program. Uh, Dr. Mirza, what, what do you think about using social media to sort of find like a mentor or a mentee or something? That's a fantastic question, actually. And I think in the pathology and laboratory medicine world, we have actually established a, a significant number of, uh, you know, mentorship relationships, which have been primarily at least started by social media interactions. And, and that's definitely a viable option. You know, finding the right balance in the relationship is looks a little bit different. It's a very new age, right? I mean, I consider typically the mentor-mentorship, mentee relationship to be in my office. There's a chair. We can see it behind me. That's where my mentees come and sit. And, you know, and that's your traditional mechanism in which you know I, I speak to my residents and fellows, etc. But I think that there have been so many opportunities, you know, where people have reached out to me, for example, or uh, many other people that I know for our expertise, with which could be just in the subspecialty that we do uh, within pathology, or it could be because of social media. They need mentorship in social media, and that is the perfect, you know, ground for actually talking about social media. And so I think that there's definitely an aspect of mentorship that people overlook, uh, which is very easily at their fingertips because, uh, you know, because they can actually engage in social media. And, and over there, it's kind of like, um, how can I explain it? It's not necessarily even a one-on-one -on -one mentorship. It is like a communal mentorship, you know, that, uh, you know, you can bring up, bring up an issue, you can bring up a question, you can bring up a, an aim or a goal, and there will be multiple people who can mentor you in the right direction. And so, so while that relationship, I think, may not be as sturdy or as long lasting as let's say a relationship you know with me sitting with someone at the microscope but it definitely is uh, I think that there's a chapter you know in our whole series of let's say if we think of the book of mentorship I think that there's definitely a chapter that should be social media mentorship yeah I kind of find like the the Twitter the Twitter sphere very open like that because I lurk on a few channels on reddit for medical technologists and uh, those are mostly I don't want to say more real, but those are mostly like, no, I have this actual problem with the culture. I have this actual problem with the coworker who's, you know, trying to sabotage me. What do I do? You don't, you're not going to find that so much on Twitter because that's more of a, a public platform. Whereas with Reddit people, you're usually doing like anonymous posting. They don't, they're not using their real names, but I think both types of, of advice are completely valid. Yeah, I think that, you know, the biggest criticism that I've heard of social media and pathology and laboratory medicine is that it's this big melting pot of like a mutual appreciation society where everybody's just appreciating everybody else. And, and I can see how that can be bothersome for people who might not be in the, you know, in the mix of the people, but it's always been open, you know, just come join the mix. I've only found that people are very, very, very welcoming. And, and so I agree with you. I think that people will not necessarily bring up issues which are kind of negative 
have issues that they need corrected. Uh, but it is a very good place for a person who doesn't necessarily have a huge mentorship question, but a smaller one to kind of get uh, a lot of feedback and a lot of uh, positivity. Uh, and so, yes, absolutely. It isn't necessarily where you go to have all your problems solved, uh, which a personal relationship might be able to do. But it's definitely it's definitely an avenue people should seek out. I'd like to add one thing. Um, I'm a member of a Facebook page, very large number of medical laboratory professionals on that page. And there is an incredible number of people who post routinely, almost on a daily basis. I would like to progress in my career. What degree do I need? What experience do I need? You know, this or that. You know, essentially, there, it's a plea for mentorship and they're looking for something. Now, the one danger is in a group that size, a lot of times they might be getting information from people who may be disgruntled or maybe providing them not necessarily the best advice for their particular situation. That's why the, like for example, the ASCP mentorship program can be very targeted and you can pick people with a certain expertise or experience that is able to help you. But as far as the, you know, just showing what the need is, it's incredible right now. People need it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Ms. Wilson, did you have something to say? Yeah, I just wanted to add on to that. Social media is a great way to find mentorship, mentees or mentors. Times are changing. And so I'm all about practical, practical tips you can use in both your personal and professional life. And mentorship, we have to get outside of our traditional take on mentorship. You know, we, we think is meeting in the office, one-on-one, free. I'm not sure if you know or not, but mentorship is not always free. So there are free and paid models of mentorship. There are formal and informal models of mentorship. And the reason I mention that is because some of my mentors that I have had access to, some of them I paid for, and some people say you should never pay for a mentor, you should never pay for mentorship. And this is why I challenge you on that. I challenge you on that because what happens if nobody in your circle have the skills, have the tools, have the expertise that you need to shift to the next level? You have to be able to find that mentorship somewhere, right? Or you go without. And so I have utilized LinkedIn for mentorship connections. I'm actually in a formal mentoring program right now, the Global uh, Mentorship Institute, and I am uh, mentoring a student in South Africa. And so that wouldn't have been possible if I wasn't connected on LinkedIn. So to be able to give a student 16 to 20 hours away my expertise so that they can learn and grow is critical. You know, that's the same thing with the ASCP mentorship program. A lot of your mentees or mentors may not be in the same area as you. Facebook is a, another great way. We typically think of Facebook as more just social and, and things of that nature, but it doesn't have to be. There's tons of industry-specific groups. There's tons of people offering expertise on that particular platform. So I challenge people to think outside of the box of traditional mentorship, because if you stay in that bubble that mentorship has to look one way, then you may be missing out. One of my mentors is John Maxwell. And I wouldn't have access to John Maxwell if that was not a paid mentorship program. I'm in the room with him. I'm able to ask questions to him. I'm able to be on the phone with him. So that's why I challenge people to think another way and don't just think the traditional way. Because if I thought that, I would never be able to be in the room, on the phone, in environments with people who have accomplished two to three to four times what I want to accomplish in my life, in my business, with my family. So I just challenge people to think another way and know that mentorship doesn't have to look one way. I absolutely agree. I, you also mentioned that how important it is to find out if someone has the right tools and the right experience before you engage in a mentorship relationship. How do you find out if someone has the right tools or the right experience that, that, that they have what you need? Like, how do you, how do you, how do you find that out? Great question. 
you ask. <laughs> Sometimes we don't have to make things so technical. You ask, you ask people. So when you're looking for mentors, you ask. So when I'm looking for a mentor, I ask that person because they may or may not be the right fit. What do I mean by that? So if I was looking for somebody, if a director level role, I'm looking to move into a laboratory director role. I want to know what kind of skills is needed, what management competencies are needed, you know, what people skills are needed. I'm probably not going to look for a mentor that's a CEO. While a CEO has tons of experience, tons of vision, they don't have relatable experience to the position in which I'm trying to get to. And so sometimes I think as mentees looking for mentors, there's a mismatch in that we look at people in their position and feel, well, they've accomplished this, they've done this, they would be a great fit for me. And that's not necessarily true, especially if they are far removed from where you're trying to go. If you are a tech on the bench and you know that you want to be a lead tech or maybe even a supervisor, a director level may be too far removed. I can tell you being a director, I'm not on the bench. I'm not on the bench. And so I'm not out there every day performing the test. And so what experience that I may give you may be outdated. I've been in management or leadership positions for the last 12 plus years. I've not been on the bench since then. Do you think I'm going to be able to give you as great insight into the bench as somebody who served in a manager or supervisor role who may recently have transitioned from the bench? So you have to ask those questions and be honest with yourself on what are you looking for in a mentor? Now, if I'm looking to for vision on how to run a company, I'm looking for how to forecast, how to budget, then I'm probably going to look for somebody that's a chief financial officer. That's the next level for me that I would be looking at. So I want somebody with those skills of what I'm trying to do, especially in my in my business. So I think it's important that we set realistic goals of what we are looking for. And then when I thought about a couple of questions that businesses should ask once they do find that right fit, uh, they should ask, you know, can that person commit? Can you commit to regular meetings with me? You know, can you commit to whether it's on, on the phone, in person, virtual, whatever it is that, that you're looking for? You know, can I trust you to keep our discussions private? Can I, you know, will this be confidential? Those are things that are important. Will you provide me honest feedback? My goals are this. Can you help me reach this? Are you the person? If not, one critical question that I have learned uh, that serves me well is who do you know that I need to know? So maybe that person isn't the right fit for your mentor, but maybe they know somebody who is. So those are just some things that have, have served me finding that right fit. And sometimes it's not the CEO. Sometimes it's the, the lead tech that should be my mentor. Sometimes it's the supervisor. Yeah. And we, you talked a little bit about what is important for, uh, well, clearly what for, important for a mentee to consider, but also what is important for a mentor to consider. And I know we talked about capacity first, which is clearly very important. You have the capacity to take on another mentee. Dr. Marza, Marza, do you, what are some other things that you think a mentor should consider before accepting another mentee? You know, there, there are many factors, right? Obviously, if you are a good mentor, uh, you will have insight into what, you know, you can actually manage, what you can cope with. Uh, I think that another thing that they should consider probably is having a mentee who has a very specific goal, right? I mean, some mentor-mentee relationships are great just, you know, being loosey-goosey, and there's uh, there's a benefit to those types of relationships too, where it's a general grooming process. But I think that, you know, as we go, uh, you know, higher up our career paths or higher in our training, it's very important for mentors to be able to check their mentees on what it is exactly that they require mentorship for, right? And just, this is just what Ms. Wilson was saying as well. The idea that if they're coming in with, uh, 
an unbelievably, uh, you know, unrealistic example of what the outcome of this relationship will be, that's not going to work, right? Because the ultimate goal is for you to be a successful mentor. You have to place your time and energy and effort all into particular types of buckets. And so I think, you know, I, I'd like to switch it again for a second and, and think about it from the mentee perspective. What another thing a mentee needs to consider, you know, which I think is extremely important is that once you have that relationship with a mentor, you need to be flexible to accommodate and accept the way that mentor is actually mentoring you. There are many people who have an idea of mentorship, right? That I'm going to go, I'm going to sit in this office, and this is particularly how they're going to mentor me, right? But that might, might not be the successful strategy. The successful strategy, if you trust in your mentor, if it is the right mentor, if they are a good mentor, you have to listen to their mechanism, right? So they might be tough on certain things. They might be, you know, gentle on other things. And it might be completely different from what you originally imagined. But if you have gone in with a particular question, with a particular goal to achieve, you have to trust the process. You don't get frustrated if it isn't happening too quickly. You know, you don't get frustrated because they're not listening to exactly what you wanted. As long as you know that they've understood your goal, right? And so different mentors behave very differently. There will be mentor-mentee relationships where you look at the mentor and be like, oh my God, I would die being mentored by this person, right? But the mentee is actually really happy, right? So it, it goes back again to that relationship that is formed. So, you know, for the mentor, there's so many things to consider, right? I mean, I think that if you have the bandwidth to do it, course, it is probably the most rewarding thing in the world to do. So you should definitely do it. Uh, but there needs to be very clear expectations of, of what is required of that relationship in order for it to be successful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Clarity is so important. Clarity and communication. Absolutely. Dr. Johnson, did you have anything to add as well? Just one really short thing for me personally, I have to get across and I have to be able to to understand myself that I want this person to succeed. I want to listen to them, find out what their needs are. But also, if I'm just concerned about their personal life and not their professional or their professional and personal, I don't find that to be as successful. So for me personally, I always want to find out a little bit about someone, about what they're, what's going on in their life, because those type of things can creep into their professional life and vice versa. So I always ask, how are you doing? How's your family? Try to find out a little bit about somebody somewhere, where they're from. And I just find that to be very, uh, very helpful, you know, in the process, just, just to show that you um, care, and not in a fake way, but in a, in a truly real way. And as, as all three of you are involved in ACP's Diversity and Inclusion Committee, I wanted to bring up the notion that, you know, the, the majority of of mentorship programs are free, which is clearly a very inclusive environment for professional development, right? Because there's a lot of professional development opportunities that come with a charge. And sometimes our the institutions where we work can pay for that, but sometimes they can't. And if people have limited funds, I think mentorship could be one of the ways in which they can still get professional development, but without any charge. What are your, your thoughts on that, on, on how inclusive or how mentorship can help um, increase diverse and inclusive work environments? I think it's very important. You know, the, you know, I can speak for the ASCP's mentorship program in that it makes no difference. You know, professionally, you're an ASCP member, so we know that up front. But it really makes no difference where you're from, what your background is. If you're able to connect with a mentor and you're able to see all kinds of different things about them and their experiences and so forth and vice versa, um, I found it to be very open and welcoming. I can't imagine that if someone had the you know, capacity to take on a mentor and it was a good match that someone would, would ever say no. But with that being said, if you ever start that relationship and it's not working, it's very easy for either one of the two parties to say, you know, this is not really working for me and it's okay. And that's something that we do all need to acknowledge is that it's okay for a mentor mentee relationship to continue. And there's no negative to that. Dr. Mercer or Ms. Wilson, do you have any thoughts on how mentorship can help increase diversity and inclusivity? 
I think that um, it's like a chicken or the egg thing. I think if we have a diverse and very inclusive mentor population, it will foster increased diversity and inclusion everywhere, right? So I think that it is one of those things that we have to initially strive to make sure it, it happens in our mentor population. And then I think naturally and hopefully, uh, we will be able to foster a more diverse and more inclusive workforce, right? Because they will all be mentored in the correct direction by people who look like them, who you know speak like them, whose names are like them. It doesn't matter. And again, that's not required for a good mentor-mentee relationship. But when, when we look at the diversity and inclusion factor, it's extremely important for the choices of mentors that are available to people of all you know backgrounds and ethnicities or you know educational status, etc., uh, for them to be able to pick and choose who they would like. Uh, and then, therefore, I think if all goes well and we are able to foster that really diverse mentor kind of workforce, and then hopefully it'll just all work out after that. And Ms. Wilson? I think mentoring definitely helps with our diversity and inclusion efforts. I can remember being at a previous employer and we had a formal mentoring program. And in that program, I was a mentee and I specifically wanted a mentor who was very different from myself senior leader. I, I wanted a, a mentor that felt different from me, looked different from me, and whose life experiences were very different. And so I was paired with a Caucasian man who uh, military background experience, I guess, similar to Dr. Johnson. And so, so are we talking about Dr. Johnson? Yeah. <laughs> we had a great relationship. I know. <laughs> And so he came from a military background and he had industry experience. He worked for one of the big uh, corporate industries before coming to the hospital. And it was interesting for me just to be able to pick his brain because, you know, how I grew up where I grew up, I didn't have a lot of Caucasian families in my neighborhood. So to be able to sit down and eat lunch with him and kind of pick his brain and figure out what's you know, how he views life, because he has a, a different background. He has a military background, you know, which was very different. Uh, he also had the industry background, which is very different from a nonprofit. I mean, he was in an industry that was about making money versus not making money, if you will. And so it was just interesting. I think these programs like this will help. At the end of the day, we're all people. And the way you have inclusive environments where everybody feels included and are at the table is if you have people talking and working together, having people of different backgrounds uh, working together and learning from each other. I have see my colleagues on here who are very different from myself. And, you know, I'm like a sponge. I want to know, you know, what do you all do when you're at home? What kind of values and stuff you do with your family? What kind of things? Uh, you're doing because the reality is even though we may look different we're very similar we're all the same we're people who want the same thing and so you know I think these kind of programs open up that conversation if nothing else so from an employer standpoint having a, a mentoring program that offers some diversity and inclusion and and pairing people of different backgrounds today is a win-win a for that organization it gives professional development, but it also empowers your people to ask those tough questions, to sit down and have lunch or coffee with somebody that may look like them, to be able to understand why some of the things in our current climate, you know, are affecting different populations the way that they are. So I, I love the things that ASCP is doing. I think the mentorship is a great start. And I think employers can benefit as well from putting together programs that are similar. And it's not really a, a high cost to the employer, but definitely a high value gain. I want to kind of wrap up and ask one last question out of all of you kind of in closing. What are some lessons that you've learned personally or professionally from mentoring others. I know, Dr. Johnson, you sort of mentioned at the beginning that you've you've learned things from whenever you mentor others. I'll, can you give us an example? Well, the majority of my career has been spent in the military, and you know what Tawana was talking about—you know, us all being different. One of the things I loved about being in the military was we brought people from fifty states, 
and other territories all together. And every time that I moved, I moved about 13 times in the military, I was thrown into a new mix. And I had new mentor possibilities and new mentee possibilities. I learned so much. And what I found out was people have challenges. They need help. I need help. And there's people out there who are willing to help if we just ask. And that's why, you know, I feel if mentorship works right and we all do it right, we could be so much more productive. There'd be so few issues out there just because the knowledge that so many of us keep inside and we don't share with those around us. And so I look forward to the day where there is more sharing of that type of information. You know, I think we're on the right path. Dr. Mirza, what about you? What's been one of your biggest lessons that you've learned? I think that segueing from what Dr. Johnson was saying, I completely agree with him. I think that, you know, I learned very early on and as I started as a mentor, uh, you know, as junior faculty, that uh, mentorship is in many forms. And number one, your peers can be your mentors. It doesn't have to necessarily be someone who's like far senior to you or far more successful than you. Everyone has strengths that you can learn from, right? And so your peers can be your mentors. That was one. Another one was that the mentorship, the the exchange, actually, I've learned probably more from my mentees than they have learned from me, right? They've probably, you know, they've been very successful. I'm very happy and proud of all of them. Uh, but I'm actually learning a lot about uh, many different things, uh, you know, in this relationship. So it's it's definitely been benefiting me significantly. And lastly, I think that it has helped me check my own kind of intrinsic biases, right? I tend to think that I'm not a very biased person. And, you know, this isn't about a particular type of human being or whatever, but just think of personalities, right? You can have a very outwardly bubbly person, you know, who you're mentoring. And you assume that that person will be equally bubbly when they're going to be sitting there in the mentee spot, right? But they actually are very reserved, right? And so you come, you know, when that relationship starts, I think that, you know, you have this perception of, well, you know what? This is going to be, this is how this direction of mentorship will go. But the ability to be flexible is is extremely important because once this person is sitting in the intimacy of the mentor-mentee relationship, that is the true person. And it might actually be very different from the persona that they have outside, right? And so people, you know, so like, for example, we were discussing this thing about diversity and inclusion and Miss Wilson's story is amazing, right? She wanted to go talk to somebody who was completely different and she learned so much. You know, that's exactly what I would have expected of her, right? But what if a similar person, right? Like Miss Wilson came to me and she didn't want to go to somebody completely different, right? Or didn't want, you wanted actually somebody who looks like her, talks like her, everything like her, right? And then my job as a mentor might have been to break the shell or to say, let's think outside the box, right? And so I think that ultimately, maybe the biggest thing I've learned is to kind of get rid of any preconceived notions, right? And start the mentor-mentee relationship where it needs to start. And Ms. Wilson, anything else? I totally agree with my colleagues, but I would also say one of the biggest things that I have learned is that mentorship works. The power of a mentor-mentee relationship is priceless. I'll share a quick story before we wrap up. As in 2011, I actually had a student come over from the University of Cincinnati. I was working at a previous employer, and she came over to bring some flyers from the university. And as part of her bringing the flyers, we were going to give her a tour of the laboratory. Well, it was summertime. She had on sandals, flip-flops, open-toed, capris. I mean, just totally not prepared for a tour at all. So she came over and, you know, very excited. And I had a tech ready to give her a tour and talk about the lab. And when she got there, she wasn't prepared. It was like, we can't do a tour. You're not even dressed appropriately. So I said, well, how about this? You, we'll set up another time for you to come back to do a tour. And as I'm walking her out, I said, well, one of the things you need to think about, I said, the, the College of Allied Health has a mentoring program. I think you will benefit greatly from being in that program. Uh, I said, they have mentors and you just fill out an application. And I, I really strongly suggest you do that. I think you would benefit greatly. I said, I'm a mentor in the program, but I already have a mentee. 
And so she went over, went back to the program director. And of course, she <laughs> she submitted to have me as her uh, mentor. And at the time, she was a freshman. So I, even though I had a mentee, there was something about her that I said, you know what, I'm going to take the time and I'm going to mentor her. She she took the initiative to get a mentor. I said, I'm going to do my best to, to be a mentor to her. And so she was a clinical lab science student. So we walked through the whole process from application, from interviewing to get into the program, to selecting the type of rotation site that would be best for her career based off of her outlook, high volume, trauma one center, where you're going to get the best experience. We walked through that every single step of the way. And that relationship was only meant to last one year. And so after that one year, we've stayed connected through the whole time she was in college. She graduated in three years. And that was 2011. It's 2020. And we are still connected. The mentoring relationship, the formal is long past. I still look at her as my little mentee. Uh, She was in my wedding. She was there for the birth of my daughter, for her christening. I mean, and so to see a young scientist start out from the beginning until now, now she's navigated her career. She's worked for employers or two and gained experience. But I tell you that story to tell you that always be on the lookout because sometimes people don't know they need mentorship. They don't know that they could benefit from a mentor. And it was just that chance encounter of her bringing over some flyers. And I saw something in her. She was still green behind the ears. She she hadn't developed that professional sense yet. But I could tell that she was hungry and she was eager to learn. And everything that I suggested to her, she did. She implemented right away. And it shortened her learning curve, I'm sure. But she taught me to just be aware that you may have somebody in your laboratory or in your life or in your community that may be looking for a mentor and don't know how to ask and don't know what to say, but they could benefit. So that's what mentorship is all about, is for us to be aware and be able to help those that may not know that they need it. Well, that was a feel-good story to end on. <laughs> Thanks, Ms. Wilson. And, and thank you, Dr. Johnson. Thank you, Dr. Mirza. Thank you all for taking the time to talk with us. I think this was such a great conversation. And I think that our, our listeners are, are going to benefit from it and maybe go find a mentor or a mentee after. I just want to remind all of our listeners to tell your colleagues about the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And uh, yeah, you don't want to miss out. We got some great stuff coming up. And don't forget that you can receive CME and CMLE credit for listening to our podcast by looking for Inside the Lab in the AACP store on our website, www.acp.org.